Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from United Arab Emirates, and in particular, Ras Al Khaimah, one of the Emirates here that most of you didn't even know existed and fewer of you have even been to. Well, for those of you who think that there's just barren desert here, think again. For those of you who think there's no history here, think again. Uh, wherever you walk, you just look around and you're going to see life and you're going to see history. Uh, earlier today, I climbed all 242 steps uh, up to the uh, to the Daya Fort, and one of the last remaining, in fact, the only remaining uh, military tower left in the UAE, uh, with a 360 degree view of the mountains and the sea. Uh, and again, I, let me say that again: 242 <laughs> steps, and they weren't that easy, but we did it. Um, but there's more than that. And joining me now, the uh, the resident archaeologist from the Department of Antiquities and Museums, right here in the in the RIK is Ahmad Hilal. How are you, sir? Fine, thank you. You heard me talk about the fort. I mean, it's amazing to think the words 16th century. Yes. Um, I would add something else. It's, it's of not course just you are, because the you're, the, you're the resident archaeologist. You yes, it's not just the fort. It's 4,000 years of history we are talking about in Daya. Um, on the western side of the fort, we have Bronze Age period, which is to the second millennium BC. We have Iron Age, which is first millennium BC, and then we have uh, archaeology of later period. So, and then on the southern side, we have the acacia tree forest. Then we have the traditional palm garden. 
So it's the whole package which is coming together in this nor narrow corridor. Well, help me out on this because when we say 16th century about that fort, yeah. I know about it when the British were around in, in the late 1800s. Who had it before the British? Um, I, I wouldn't say 16th century. For sure we know it's 19th century, but there were some records saying there were some remains of... Uh, of ideas. something. Yes, but uh, the fort itself, it's 19th century. Right, because when you think about its location, it would stand to reason that somebody wanted to use it as a watchtower because you had the, the, the benefit of being so high up. Yes, it was uh, a defensive structure and uh, it was used uh, as, as a defense uh, last resort against the British attack uh, in 1819. So um, it was a defensive structure. Now, RAK, Ras al-Khema, is divided really into two parts, isn't it? Yes. The old part, right? Yes. In that old part, how far back does that go? Um, it's, it's amazing. When people come here and uh, we tell them that we have 7,000 years of history in Ras they wow. Because they think it's a desert, there might be just tribes, historically very limited history, but in Ras we have 7,000 years of history. And the reason is the diverse landscape we have here, like mountains, uh, the agriculture area, palm gardens, coastline, desert. And this resulted in this amazing archaeology. And this was the reason we had permanent settlement in Rasul Khaimah. Unlike the other Emirates, people were permanently staying in Rasul Khaimah. And the result is this history of 7,000 years. Even the museum has a history because that's really the former home of the ruling, of the ruling family. Yes, yes. It's, it's again, it's a very unique building. And then it's a national museum of Rasul Khaimah. So uh, then again, it was started as a defensive platform uh, against the British attack. And then it was uh, growing and growing. And so it, it has really an amazing history uh, in terms of traditional architecture and local history. And speaking of tradition, you don't have to look far to see, what, some abandoned fishing villages that used to be the, the big livelihood. Yes, again, I mean, the, after the decline of Chulfa period in 16th century, uh, we have, again, a, a, a massive boom of traditional architecture, like we have watchtowers, traditional mosques, towns, villages, and then we have the coast towns like Rams, uh, Marid, Ras Khaima, Jazirat al-Hamra. So there, in the last four or five hundred years, it, it was really like uh, a spread of urbanization in Ras Khaima and which resulted in this amazing traditional architecture. We have more than 600 uh, sites we have. Now, I have to ask you, because you're the archaeologist, are you still finding stuff? Uh, a lot. Sometimes we are really surprised, like in Jazirat al-Hamra, we were digging a mosque, and the historical sources from our survey, we thought there will be another mosque underneath, and we found five more mosques under the standing how mosque. How deep did you have to go? I mean, we didn't go too deep. It was one and a half meter, nearly one and a half meter. But again, I mean, the local culture or history is they would just build on top of each other. So we found five mosques and two other structures. So seven structures on top of each other. And were they preserved? Yeah, very well preserved. And we are pl planning to, to conserve them and then open it for uh, visitors. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of challenging work. How long do you think it's going to take you? Uh, Jazirat al-Hamra is, again, it's a very, very unique, important coastal town. Um, I won't be wrong if I say this is the only authentic surviving coastal town in the whole of Gulf. And uh, there are 150 structures. Uh, 
again, it's it's a lot of, um, if may, may I say, um, this is the only such huge scale project in the whole world. Normally we see there are building recording and analysis, excavations, uh, conservation, restoration, but here we are doing everything together. So it's, it's a lot of research, a lot of strategies, a lot of methodologies we are developing. So it's a really, really massive project. And I would presume most of this work is done by hand. Uh, yes, uh, like the mosque I was talking yeah, about. Yeah. There we have done 1,600 contexts, which means um, 40,000 recording. So, and everything by hand. So 14,000 recording, it took us eight months continuously, even during the summer. So uh, it's massive, massive recording, and we are producing massive data. So also we are planning to archive it properly for the research, future generations. So it's, it's, it's re really a massive work we are doing there. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. sustainability. We talk about environmental management. We talk about responsible tourism. My next guest knows a lot about that because he's the executive director of Environmental Protection and the Development Authority here. It's Dr. Saif Mohammed Al-Kais. Welcome, sir. Hi. Doctor, let's talk about this because when people see desert, they forget a lot of times it's a very fragile environment. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, uh, but there is a uh a misunderstanding that the desert, I think it, it is an empty ecosystem, while it is uh, a flourish ecosystem, which has a lot of biodiversity in it. But some people, they misunderstand that. They think desert is, is nothing. Is nothing. So when someone wants to build something here, whether it's a road, it's a hotel, it's an apartment building, it's, a, it's whatever kind of facility they want, uh, you could just say, go build it, but that wouldn't work. Oh, uh, no. I mean, without doing an environmental impact assessment, uh, they won't be uh, getting the NOC for, for that project. The Certificate of Occupancy? Uh, yes. The, uh, the Environmental Impacts uh, assessment. assessment is a relatively new thing. And, and, of course, the criteria, I'm sure, must have changed. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, uh, it is when you say a new thing, for the last, I will say, at least 10, 15 years. Right, that's uh, new. Yeah. That's new. <laughs> but for us, probably, we <laughs> say uh, that is a requirement for any developmental project in the, in the whole UAE, even, not just uh, Russell. So what are your requirements for that assessment to make sure that the environment's protected when somebody wants to build a hotel? Uh, well, it depends. Where is the hotel going to be? Is it a sensitive area? Or it is by on the, the water? Uh, yes, if it is on the beach or if it is in a mountain area. So the first thing, we look at the ecosystem or the, the habitat where that hotel is going to be built. And uh, we b before they start building the hotel, uh, we have to assess the impact on the environment. And uh, from our authority, usually we hire a third body who will be a, like a consultant will review the 
the impact of that project and the environment. And if they say uh, it is a go ahead, then we give them the NOC. Otherwise, we have to put the alternative. So, but, but I'm looking for the criteria. For example, in, I'll give you an example. In Thailand, there's a rule that you cannot get that certificate of occupancy if you're building a hotel uh, unless it's in increments of like 62 units that you have to provide staff housing, you have to provide waste treatment, you have to provide gray water, black water treatment. You can't just pump it into the bay. And, um, and it's a very well-intentioned law. And a lot of these big hotels you know, got their, got their authority to build, and yet what they did to get around the rules, they sold off uh, units at 60 units each. So they were under the 62-unit rule, and they were still pumping raw sewage out into the bay. Guess what happened? They had to close the bay. Oh yeah, They, they didn't can. do it responsibly. So uh, have you been able to write the regulations so that that kind of stuff oh, yes. doesn't happen? We have, uh, we have a limit for any emission or uh, coming either from, uh, uh, if I may say, from a hotel or a factory, and there is a regulation on that in UAE. So they cannot exceed that. And uh, what you have just uh, gave an example, uh, that does not exist here in UAE. Uh, without uh, having, uh, how to say it, uh, without having ag agreeing with the uh, premium, limit for uh, that regulation, they won't be giving the, the NOAC. So in the last five or six years, have you denied a, a number of those permits? Oh, yes, definitely. We have a lot. And we have denied uh, some uh, for some, I will say, big establishment. Uh, we did not give them the permit because we felt that going to have an impact uh, in, uh, in, in a sensitive ecosystem where we some of them, we had them to shift their facility to another area because it will have a, a very negative impact if it's built in that area. And even recently, we have some, some project where we give them the suggestion, some alternative. We give them an alternative. If we feel that uh, project going to have an impact, for example, in the marine environment, if it's in a coastal area. So we, we give them some suggestion. Okay, don't do it in this way. You have to do it in that way. And if they agree to do it, then they, you're most likely to give them the permit. Oh, yes. I mean, people don't realize that a lot of work goes into it now. It's not just rampant development because if you wanted to, you could develop the entire coastline and it would be nothing but high-rises. Oh, yes, definitely. But you're going to lose the biodiversity if that happened. And you just can't do that. Yeah. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. We're going to talk to somebody who's lived here since she was a baby. And, you know, I always like to ask the locals. Well, she's local, all right. In fact, she's been here so how long now? Well, I'm now 40, so... <laughs> You've been here almost 40. Her name is Nicola Henderson-Hall. She's the founder and host of the Learning Curve podcast mm -hmm. and, uh, and a UK expat. Fair enough? I am, yes, yeah. very much. Okay, obviously you came here because mom and dad brought you here. And they're still here now. Wow. What, yeah. brought, what brought them here? Because 40 years ago, there was nothing here. Oil. Yeah. Uh, my dad is in the oil industry, still is. He came out here. It was an opportunity to make some money 
pay off the mortgage and uh, have a new life. And, and let me guess, he did. He did. He persuaded my mum, who hadn't left the UK in 30 odd years. <laughs> and uh, he said, it's a beautiful place. You will love it. Of course, let's be honest, 40 years ago, as beautiful as it was, there was nothing it here. It was just sand. Just sand. Yeah. And more sand. Yeah. My so, mom opened yeah. the curtains and went, oh. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, she, she was, uh, her eyes were opened. Well, and the growth curve is almost exponential, isn't amazing, it? Amazing, amazing. So, being a... To see to see uh, the UAE as a child and then see it now, you know, at this point I always see the UAE as like a, you know, twenty-seven-year-old person who's kind of in the prime of their career type of thing, but still got a long, long, exciting journey with lots of innovation and ideas ahead. So. I mean, I remember the first time I came here. Of course, I came to Dubai, mm -hmm. and the reason why I came to Dubai was literally by accident. I was flying from Singapore to London mm -hmm. and the plane stopped because mm -hmm. it didn't have the range. Mm -hmm. And when it stopped, oh my goodness, these Irish guys who ran the duty free. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the crazy guys. Yes. And, and I, every plane stopped at around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night mm -hmm. and you'd get off the plane and you'd walk. There was no real airport. You'd, you'd just walk. That's right. The only real building was the duty free, mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden you see other people, they were not walking, they were running. <laughs> Because they knew about the duty free, because these guys were running an operation that, I mean, you could buy a Mercedes in there, you could buy fur coats. It was, and I remember watching one night, uh, I remember I was on Singapore Airlines. I watched a Polish airline plane came in, mm -hmm. come in, it landed, and the people came piling off that plane mm -hmm. like they were running the, the sprint. Why? They wanted to buy everything they possibly could to yeah. take back to Poland. Mm -hmm. And it was I, the same with the Russians as well. We yeah. had Chinese and Russians Crazy. coming in. And then they would go back to the plane with cases of mm -hmm. Johnny Walker and cases. Mm -hmm. And, and like, TVs. Right, and I was going, <laughs> how is this plane going to get in the sky? <laughs> and we'd all watch as it going, <laughs> going the wrong way. Because we never thought it would make, but it did. Yep. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the next time I came back, there was more than just that building. And yeah. it just got crazier and crazier. Yeah. There are those who would argue that Dubai had an unlimited budget and they managed to exceed it. I suppose, yeah. It ha in in the way the country has grown and the number of buildings we have, it's just, it's amazing. And then here comes Abu Dhabi, which really mm -hmm. bailed out Dubai mm -hmm. when they had their problem. Well, that's what they say. <laughs> well, somebody got bailed out, right? But but then there are the other Emirates that don't really get a lot of, of, of attention, yeah. right? There's Ajman and, mm -hmm. and Sharjah mm -hmm. and Ras, right? Malquain, Fujairah. And, right. Yeah. Kalba. So these are the are the Emirates that I like to go to because mm -hmm. they're the little hidden gems. Yeah, they are. They're totally hidden gems. What's a hidden gem about RAK? Oh, I think the coastline and the mountains. You know, it's the only part of the country that has mountains. And, you know, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, it is just all dunes. And then as you drive across to this part, the dunes start to change color. They get more sort of sunsetish and darker and redder, and then the mountains sort of come up. The rocks appear, and it's that's beautiful. And then when you're cruising down the road, you've got the mountains on one side, and you've got the coastline and the 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 the, 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 the you know light-colored ocean water. It's beautiful. And for those people who need to get a map right now, listen to me carefully. We're only about an hour and 10 minutes from Dubai, mm -hmm. and what's really cool about this, if we keep going, we're in Oman. Yeah. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Talking with Nicola Henderson-Hall, the founder of the Learning Curve podcast. And before we get into what the podcast is, mm-hmm. what I have always found interesting uh, about this region mm-hmm. is the role of women. Mm-hmm. Because it, it ain't Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. right? Women here have a real role. Women here do lots. You know, there's a, a massive drive by the government to encourage and motivate and inspire more and more women to get out there, to go into the corporate world, to to be entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial spirit here is massive. And it's encouraged. Absolutely. The more and more women that can go out and support their family and build something amazing is, is, is just fantastic. When you think of all the Emirates, right, yeah. and, and the proximity, because it's easy to get to all of them, oh, yeah, yeah. right? I'm going to Abu Dhabi tomorrow. <laughs> well, don't don't hold it over me, but, <laughs> but I mean, look, they're opening up a Louvre, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah, yeah, the Louvre. Yeah. That's due as well soon, yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. But where do you go? Because now you're a veteran expat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where do you go that's not in the brochure, that's mm-hmm. not in the guidebook, that if I were just visiting you for the first time, you'd say, I have to take you here? Deep into the desert. You know, we just did it at the weekend. We head out about sort of 40, 50 kilometers away from the city so that you practically can get the dark sky because, the you know, the road lights are quite intense. And you just hang out there and it's beautiful. We did it at the weekend. We camped out. We had our barbecue. It was just beautiful. That is getting down to how the Bedouins used to live, you know, hanging around a fire, telling stories. That's great. And it's all about those conversations. It is. It is. And yet, if you go to Dubai or in Abu Dhabi, and it's starting to happen here as well, mm-hmm. you know, some of the well-known brands are all here. Look, yeah. we're, we're coming from the Waldorf Astoria, we right? Are, yeah. um, and recognizable brands, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where are the places you like to go within the Emirates, mm-hmm. not just outside of town in the mountains or mm-hmm. the desert, mm-hmm. uh, that are not necessarily branded but are hidden gems? Oh gosh! For, then, for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, then I go down to like in down in Satwa in Dubai. There's a place called Ravi's. It's an institution. It's a Pakistani restaurant. It's been there since I was a kid. That is, you know, 20 dirhams and you've got a full meal. It 20 end. dirhams is about three and a half bucks? Yeah, yeah. And No, four bucks, actually. The food is great. It is a hidden gem, you know. And then down in Dubai, down in Derrissaid, there are places there as well. Just just corners, corner places, sort of not mom and pop type stuff, but close enough to that. And in there, you, 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 hear, you speak to the boss, you speak to the waiters. It's nice, you know. And that's taking you away from the sort of pristine look of the hotels, which obviously here caters for the tourists. I mean, with all due respect, I don't want to come all the way over to Dubai to go to TGIF. No, exactly. Well, that's, what you, that's the great thing about Dubai. It is a melting pot of different, different nationalities. And every night you could go out and have different food. You could have Pakistani food. You could have uh, um, Arab food. You know, you could have Nigerian food. You could have any type of food you want, but you don't have to go to the hotels for that. You can go to the smaller places. Hey, the best Lebanese food I've had was right in Dubai. Yeah, which one was it? I knew you were going to ask. But they had belly dancing. <laughs> they had belly dancing. They did. No, these are the, you know, it's the small places that, you know, they drive the heart of this city. And um, I love going to them. I love going to the big hotels. It's beautiful to get dressed up and go and sit in a nice space. But to be honest, I do like the sort of, you know, here's your plate, here's your cup, go for it. Here's your plastic chair. <laughs> yeah, 
and here's Ex your plastic exactly. chair. Exactly. Here's your plastic menu. <laughs> when you look at Dubai and the, and the unbelievable development they've had there, mm -hmm. followed right behind them by Abu Dhabi, yeah. And then you come here mm -hmm. to to Ras Al Khaimah. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a refreshing almost. It is. It, it you know a lot of people come to Ras Al Khaimah or Mokwain at this end of the country just basically to reopen the open your mind again, refresh yourself because. Dubai and Abu Dhabi can be quite stressful from the driving to the the fast pace of the cities, but coming here just slows everything down, and that's what. No traffic jams here. There are traffic jams here. Yeah, there are. Well, they, they last for four minutes. <laughs> come on. <laughs> but it's nice. People come here just to open up and clear out and just relax. A bit like going to Oman. Oman is a bit like that as well. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, mm. my my suggestion is to, for somebody to come right here to, to Ras Al Khaimah and mm -hmm. then. After a couple of days, get the car yeah. and just keep going until mm -hmm. you get to the Musandam Peninsula. It's beautiful. It really is. It's 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 inspiring. It's it's motivating. It just I don't know. It just cleans you and makes you feel refreshed and ready to take on the next stressful challenge that you're about to walk into. What's the biggest challenge here in in RIK? The biggest challenge here, oh, not that many. I think traffic really. Every the, uh, the Emirates have have does we have lots of great roads, but we still have traffic problems because there's more and more people coming to this country because it inspires and drives so many people. So that would be my big thing. Well, they're working on a train. I know, isn't that great? Yeah, I'm H looking forward to that. And a high that. speed train. And a high speed train. Yeah, I know. Have you heard about the the inner tube thing? Oh, the tube, right? Yeah. yeah. What, twelve minutes between Abu Dhabi yeah. and Dubai? No. Yeah, please. I'll let you take the first ride. I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you test that one. But it's exciting. But this is an example of what's going on here. So many people are coming to the UAE and trying out new things. People are excited by that. There you go. Keep that going. This is flight three seven two on SWA. The flight attendants on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle. David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't joining me now, I'm going to pronounce his entire name because it's a long one. His Excellency Sheikh Salam bin Sultan bin Sak al Qasimi. Did I get it right, sir? Yes, sir. I got it all right? Yes. Oh, my God. I win nothing, but I did okay who really runs civil aviation here in, in the Emirate. And when you built the airport here, that was what, 1974? Yeah. You knew you had to build an airport or nothing else could come. Sure. How big is the airport? Well, it's an uh, international airport uh, and uh, the runway is 3760 meters. which So a little bit more than 9,000 feet. Yes, and which accommodates uh, most of the aircraft in the, in the industry. Uh, except uh, 380s, which hopefully you, soon you could. We, we, yeah, we could on a special permission, yeah. Yeah, like if nobody else was at the airport, you could land one. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> but opening up an airport doesn't—it's like the movie Field of Dreams. You know, just because you build it doesn't mean they're going to come. So when you opened the airport, who did come? Uh, at the beginning, uh, Kuwait Airways started the first flight, inaugural flight, and uh, then uh, other airlines followed from uh, Middle East uh, and uh, Indian subcontinent and Africa. And uh, initially it was uh, to uh, operate and serve the community in Ras Al Khaimah and Northern Emirates. Right, and then after that some dropped out, some added. Yes. Who's your main, main airline now? Now uh, we have Air Arabia is the designated airline uh, in addition to Qatar Airways and Indian uh, Aviation Express.
and room to expand. Air India Express, right? Yeah. And a lot yes. of room to expand. Yes. How do you go about attracting an airline to come in? What incentives can you possibly give them that they're not getting from your next door neighbors in Abu Dhabi and in uh, Sharjah and even in, of course, especially in Dubai? True. The first of all, the traffic right is what incentivizes them. And the second is the catchment area, the population, and the destination where they can serve their uh, uh, operation from Ras Al Khaimah, Northern Emirates, and beyond. So. Uh, in uh, the case of Air Arabia, they are designated airline and they are operating to the uh, regional uh, destinations. So what's their longest flight? The longest flight is about uh, to uh, Cairo, uh, to, uh, to Nepal and uh, uh, to um, uh, Bangladesh. Wow. Yes. Anything to Europe? Uh, at the moment on Air Arabia, no, but we have Qatar Airways who is operating through Doha to- To anywhere you want to go. Anywhere in the world, yes. Exactly. Yes. So, when you think about the airport in Dubai, it's saturated right now. Yeah. They had to build another airport, Yes. right? Uh, same thing in Abu Dhabi, they're building another airport, True. right? So you guys are actually open for business without having to build another airport. Yes, uh, there's room to, uh, to increase our tra the traffic in Ras Al Khaimah and we are focused mostly on bringing tourists to, ra to, to this beautiful emirate where uh, we can operate charters and schedule operations to uh, service the uh, growth in the, the Northern Emirates and Ras Al Khaimah for tourism. Well, you're certainly getting a lot of growth in hotel building. Yes. Uh, uh, this hotel is a big hotel. You have other hotels that are going up, big hotels. Yes. You got to fill those rooms. Yeah. Are you working closely with the hotels to figure out a way to get these people in in terms of large I numbers? I think uh, the tourism uh, uh, department and uh, Ras Al Khaimah, the authority, they're doing uh, they, their best job to <laughs> sell all these uh, rooms. All right, so then let me go back and ask you an air, a question that I know you can answer. Yeah. Are you competitive on airfares? Yes. We are offering a better rates in terms of uh, uh, ticket prices and in terms of uh, other services, transportation, rooms, and uh, other services. I mean, to put it in perspective, it's about an hour and 10-minute drive from Dubai, yes. right? Yes. So if somebody's willing to drive that hour and 10 minutes, they'll get a better air deal? Yes. Every time? Yeah. Wow. And how much are we talking about? Like, like, like a flight to Nepal is how much? Uh, I think to uh, almost 10% in terms of uh, prices. Uh, and uh, we offer, uh, for the, at the airport, we offer a better uh, landing and handling uh, fees. And for charges. the airlines? Yes, for the airlines. So they're not getting hit on landing fees as much as the other yes, airlines? Yes, uh, exactly. Yes. And who are you looking out for now, other than the ones who are landing here now? Yes. Who's your, who's your dream airline to come in here? Well, we are thinking about uh, European airlines where they, uh, they are serving now uh, other uh, airports in the, in the Emirate. And we are uh, in constant uh, meeting with them and to attract them and to ser service the, their uh, community also. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. When I first came here, oh, let's say 1982, uh, it was just desolate. There was nothing here. A um, couple of roads couple of small buildings, huge coastline, mountains, but not much. And uh, boy, what a difference just one decade has meant. 
Uh, and joining me who's now, who's seen all this development from day one, he's the chief operating officer of RAK Properties, uh, Mohammed Altair. How are you, sir? Fine, fine. And I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, you're a, you're a Longhorn. You went to the University of Texas in Austin, didn't you? Yep. 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 Wish they had a better football team this year, yeah. but yeah, you know that. Later on, I'll you. Yeah, I know. It's another story. But you've seen all the, expa- all the expansion, and I guess the real question is, when you look at the expansion and the development in Dubai, and then you yes. see what Abu Dhabi has done, yeah. you guys are sort of a hidden gem. You guys are small in terms of actual square, square miles, small in terms of population, but you have an opportunity to learn from the mistakes of others to manage your growth in such a way that it's responsible. Yes. And how have you done that? Uh, well, uh, we uh, we are proud, first of all, to um, that we are uh, under the support of His Highness Sheikh Saud here and Russell K. Emirate. And, uh, and he takes a direct role. Of course, yes. And with the, with the support also of his crown prince, Ms., uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Saud, we uh, could uh, achieve all uh, these uh, projects and development in Russell K. Uh, st- uh, starting from the last uh, 10 years, um, we, uh, we, uh, we could achieve the development of a uh, lot of projects in Ras al We did not move uh, that fast uh, track as uh, you, you just mentioned. But, but, we you, but you did that intentionally. Yes. Uh, you wanted to go a little bit slower. Exactly. The, the idea was uh, not to go aggressive, very aggressive. But we go, we were going uh, with, uh, maturely with the, with the need of the, pro- with the, and the real estate market. And uh, thank God we f- we completed the, uh, the this developments with uh, in a successful way, with uh, a lot of satisfaction from the from our customers and citizens in Russell Kema. I mean, it's, it gets down to basic infrastructure, doesn't it? Because if you've got a population of only three hundred thousand, and you can't build an infrastructure for another three hundred thousand, you, you'll kill yourself. Yep. Right. That is, that is. I mean, look at Dubai. I mean, it's it's, it's just rampant the, the, the expansion. In Dubai, it's a different story. The, there is a big demand also in Dubai. They are planning for to attract a lot of tourism, a lot of uh, uh, residents in, in Dubai, in different areas. They are they are tra- uh, planning now to build also their new new airport. So they have different plans, and they think that they can fill all of these developments here in Ras Al Khaimah. Also, we have our own plans and. We are following our uh, our pl- plan as uh, it was uh, set by, by the government here. And I think every market has its own demand and supply. Sure. But if you go back, let's say, and, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you go back 10 or 15 years, tourism wasn't high on your list. Yes, it, wa- it was not. But now it is our main objective in Ras Al-Kema. And uh, why? And why? Uh, we feel that... Uh, People deserve to uh, to to come and enjoy the Ras Al Khaimah uh, tourism destinations. We feel that uh, these destinations are uh, great, and we need people to share it with us. They should enjoy the experience and experience the, uh, the uh, these uh, destinations and um, uh, make them make them great to uh, to uh, to spend their time here to to live with their families in relaxation relaxation and peaceful uh, environment. Of course, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm embarrassed to tell you that most of my fellow countrymen have no idea where we are right now. Thank you. That's, but they uh, don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, can't see, I can't see that. Half the kids you went to college with in Texas have no idea where you are. <laughs> yes. Uh, am I right? <laughs> yes, you're right. So how do you change that? It, as I mentioned to you, it, it, it was uh, done with the vision of uh, His Highness, Sheikh Saud. 
and with the uh, with the support of all entities here, governmental entities in Ras al-Khaimah, they have their uh, own plans, and we are moving uh, together as one hand to to achieve uh, the the plan of the uh, of the Emirate here. Are there trends that you're following, like wellness? Uh, that that seems to be a growing one, or or medical tourism. We are actually. Uh, uh, we are following uh, different trends here uh, in Ras al-Khaimah. Wellness is one of them. Uh, uh, int- uh, family entertainment is one of them. Uh, water parks. Now we, we started uh, doing water parks in, uh, in, in, in Ras al-Khaimah. I think... You want to be more family friendly. Of course. This is the main, uh, main idea. It's not for uh, a small experience for a, sm- uh, a small segment of uh, customers. No, it's for family. Uh, we believe that if we attract families and uh, make the environment here enjoyable for them, this will be the, uh, the success of uh, our plan. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.